Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Monday, April 17th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. On this episode, we'll discuss some players we have given up on over the course of this young season. What causes us to actually drop players or to move away from our evaluations after just a few weeks? We'll dig into some possible slow starts uh, to target on the hitting side, or at least we'll we'll look at a few laggard boards and see if there's anything good that we can find from from that. A lot of mailbag questions to get to. We've got a question about Nolan Gorman. Got a question about walks league-wide being up and if that's a trend to be mindful of. And got a few pitcher questions to get to later on in the episode as well. You know, how was your weekend? Uh, it was good. Uh, the older one turned 11. And so we had a Magic the Gathering tournament uh, at our house for his birthday. 16 screaming young 10, 11-year-olds. How long does a tournament take for Magic the Gathering, a tournament that size? Three to four hours. Oh, I would have guessed even longer. <laughs> it might have felt longer. Uh, the uh, There was one moment that um, just sticks out for me. This one child um, was losing in his semifinal match, and he didn't want to lose. Uh, and so he started taking really long. <laughs> But you just thought if he if he's waited it out, he would he'd eventually just win because that person would quit. Yeah, I don't know what he was what he was thinking. Uh, it was also uh, just such a it was just such an interesting moment because all the other kids came in and started screaming at him. Make your move! <laughs> you gotta lose! And it was like they were all screaming at him, and this kid just had this most serene look on his face, like. I'm just thinking through the options. <laughs> and I said, well, how many cards do you have? And he said, I have three. And, and he said, and, and, uh, and he said, I'm thinking through all the options. I was like, well, if you have three cards, I think the math says that you have three times, two times one possible permutations. So six. Uh, so have you thought those six through yet? Because he was like, I said, he, I said, how many cho- choices do you have? He's like, literally hundreds. I'm like, not if you have three cards. <laughs> and uh, but it was uh, it was kind of one of those uh, I prefer not to moments where you know this kid was just like I'm not gonna do what's expected of me right now. <laughs> do you do you respected that even though it was frustrating? I couldn't help but respect it. Yeah, <laughs> it just uh, just a it was a it was a, quite the character, man. <laughs> so that that part was funny. Um, the kids had a good time. We also had lots of baseball and, uh, yeah, one of your more typical weekends. I managed to get to the, uh, to the clubhouse twice last week. So that's, it's fun to get back in the swing of things there and uh, talk to some great people. Talk to, uh, Tommy Pham. He was telling me all about, um, the difference in body types is something I have to read up on now. He said that. You know, there's a lot of instruction in, in hitting that talks about, you know, getting into your legs and, and, and there's the kinetic chain and you're, and all this, this, this energy is coming from your legs into your swing. And so use your big muscles first and stuff. And he said, that's fine, except I'm an aerial mover. And there are people that are aerial movers and terrestrial movers. And uh, so you have to kind of uh, think about the specifics of the way that your hitter's body moves. And so he had, some examples of other aerial movers in baseball, like Blake Snell, uh, people that are more comfortable maybe on the balls of their feet than they are in their heels. Um, some of my spidey sense went off. Like, uh, all right, are we sure this is real? Uh, but I found some uh, some actual studies on this, so I'm going to to read up on this. Tommy was pretty adamant that some of the stuff. That was out there was hurt would hurt his swing. I can at least open my mind to the possibility of this being the case. I can also, without even understanding what a terrestrial mover is, know that that's what I am as opposed to an aerial mover. <clears throat> like I'm, I'm not an aerial mover. Whatever that is, I'm not one. I couldn't be. <laughs> my feet are always on the ground. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Period. I cannot fly. Yeah, and he did one of these things where he like he's like okay. Put your put your weight into your heels, and then I'm gonna try and push you over. And he pushed me over pretty easily. And he's like, "Now put your <laughs> weight into your into your balls, of your feet." And he tried to push me over, and he couldn't. 
And he's like, oh, maybe you're an aerial mover. And I was like, I don't know, man. I think that most people are harder to push over if they're in their, in their, um, on the balls of their feet. Yeah, they'd be leaning forward. If you're on your heels, you're on your, your weights. Well, on he's your trying back. to push me from the side, right? So not push me over forward, backward. But still, mm. it, I, I sometimes those things I think are designed like pseudo scientific scientific stuff. I remember, um, oh, like I remember, for example, I did muscle activation technique when my Achilles was was not was not feeling good. And one of the things they do is they do a range of motion thing. So they take your, say so they took my leg, and she's like, look. This is how much your leg can move. You have bad range of motion in your hip. And then she like tweaked me hard in some small muscles is the best way I can put it. <laughs> Another way of putting it is shoved her hand into my groin and made me hurt. <laughs> but she activated my small muscles. And then she did the the thing again. And, and I was like, whoa, I got more range of motion. Oh, my God. Um, and then I heard, uh, from some other trainers that she could have slapped me in the face and done the rope motion again, and I would have had more range of motion. So, <laughs> yeah. so, uh, that, you know, sometimes when people do these little like physical test thingies, I'm like, I smell quackery. <laughs> well, I'm sure there are some threads to be pulled on there that will lead to pieces down the road, even if, um. What Tommy Pham was spinning isn't something that we're all going to be buying and adhering to at some point in the future. Uh, but let's start with uh, a big question that everybody has this time of year. When are you giving up on players and who have you given up on early? Every Friday, Al and I have talked about pickups and this week it was a, a fun weekend because you had Von Grissom back up for Atlanta. You had uh, Taj Bradley with a seemingly clear path back into the Rays rotation due to the unfortunate lengthy absence of Jeffrey Springs. Um, we saw Zach Neto get the promotion over the weekend. Brett Beatty got promoted over the weekend. We're going to talk about the prospects on tomorrow's show because that's Project Prospect Day. But to make room for all these fun players and all these opportunities, you have to make decisions to let guys go. We know that we don't always have injured players to cut, right? When you get injured players, it's easy. When you get players who are sent down, it's easy. A lot of times you don't have that. So who have you given up on so far this season and why? Hmm. Uh, no one. Uh, you know, like hitters that I've dropped for the most part are either just long shots or somebody that I had, you know, sort of ticketed for uh, kind of using it like almost streaming like. I don't think that I've, I've really dropped anybody. I, I made some bad choices uh, before the season started. I dropped Josh Rojas because <laughs> mm. uh, I thought with Evan Longoria there, they wouldn't play much. It's usually I'm always like sort of concerned with playing time. And so, uh, yes, I guess on this list that we have here, had I had some more shares of these guys, I might have dropped some of these guys. So, you know, on the rundown, there are players that, I'm not hopeful about going forward. I just don't have too many shares. And if I do have shares, I believe in them and I haven't dropped them yet. Yeah, so I think this is a, this is more of a hypothetical because I thought about dropping this player as Gene Segura in my 12-team leagues. Right. I've got other players on that roster who have middle and corner eligibility, so his position flexibility doesn't matter. His team context is probably as bad as it's ever been as far as the supporting cast, the opportunities to score runs and drive in runs. That's down, so his value, I think, has taken a, a bigger hit than maybe I expected going into the year. I didn't do it this week, but I think it's coming, at least in 12-team leagues. When you start to look at the projections for Segura, just look at the WOBA for rest of season, and it's 317. He's got a 273, 326, 395 line, 10 homers, 12 steals, like 53 RBIs, and 60 runs. That's a very replaceable player in a 12-team league, and that's that almost seems like a little bit too lofty for him with some of those counting stats. So I think he's the sort of player where I'm patient for a few weeks, but once you get to that third or fourth opportunity to cut him, if I have the coverage that I need, if the only thing he's offering me is versatility and I can find versatility somewhere else or I have versatility somewhere else, I'm willing to go ahead and start giving up on a player like that. Because I think Segura... He fits the description that you've talked about before. Once you get to 
a certain age, the projections become less reliable. He's 33 years old. Mm -hmm. I think he's in that window now where the metronome player that he's been for the last four or five years, that could go away at any time. And maybe we're already starting to see that. Maybe the fact he ended up in Miami is a sign the league saw that coming, that 29 other teams saw a guy that has a nice track record but probably doesn't have a very bright future. So I think he's kind of in that range of player that I'm most likely to start giving up on relatively early compared to my initial expectations. Yeah, and I mean, he's he was much better play in Philadelphia where the park would aid him, you know, two or three times a year. And that doesn't seem like a lot, but two or three more homers uh, changes a guy who might hit seven homers this year into a guy who hits 10 or 11, you know? And, uh, you know, in a better lineup, he would have better runs in RBI when he was in. Um, and, you know, as he ages, the, st- the, the steals just aren't there anymore. Uh, he's averaging, uh, I would say, something like uh, 15. I mean, he, I would say his upside this year is like 15 stolen bases. So 15 stolen bases, and then you start looking at the home runs in the different parks, and you realize, oh, the 20 home runs that was his career high was pre-Humidor, Arizona. And uh, otherwise, his second one is Philadelphia, 14. In more neutral parks, he's had years where he's had 10 and 5 and 6 homers. So he could go through this whole year and hit 6 homers and steal 12 bases. When you start thinking about it that way, you're like, well, man, the batting average really has to come on for him to do that. And look at that. He's got his second worst whiff rate and the second worst strikeout rate. Even if the the BABIP comes online, you're talking about maybe a 270 average, seven homers, 12 stolen bases. It seems like below replacement, actually, for most fantasy leagues. Yeah. Yeah, especially a 12-team league. I think I'm having a problem right now where my brain has become so calibrated for the 15-team league. I played in the 15-team uh, mixed league for Tout Wars for a long time. I played a lot of the, the NFBC main events, the big auctions, the draft champions. Those are all 15-team formats. And I think I have a hard time letting go of players like Gene Segura in 12s. I think even Chris Taylor probably fits into this bucket, too. I mean, Chris Taylor's also 32 years old, hasn't been in the big leagues as a regular quite as long, so it doesn't seem like he's that old. There's a few things in this profile that I ordinarily like. He is a, he's still a good barreler, but the contact issues that jumped up last season have carried over through spring training and now through the first dozen games he's played in the regular season, and I'm starting to have that same kind of problem where yeah, there's been some some power so far, four homers, but it's come with a absolute anchor of a batting average, and there's really no sign of him figuring it out again at the plate and becoming that more consistent player he was you know, two years ago in 2021 when he popped in 20 homers and, and stole 13 bases. And I think there's also there's playing time downside that wasn't there previously because they have a few other younger guys that are emerging to take on prominent roles. I could just see this starting to fall apart on him, even though... He's in year two of four-year deal. The Dodgers can just eat that contract and make him a part-time player if that's what the best usage for Chris Taylor is at this point. Yeah, it's unfortunate. I mean, he's one of those late bloomers that uh, we're starting to see the the denouement of his career. And you could really see it in the strikeout rate. 2020, 25.7. 2021, 28.7. 2022, 35.2. And then last, and then this year, thirty-eight point one percent strikeout rate for Chris Taylor. So, and, and if you look at the whiff rates, uh, they've been going up accordingly. So, I think that this whiff, so this smells a little bit like a hole has been opened in his swing, and the league has dived into it. Um, and so I, you know, I don't remain super hopeful, and I have this bias towards deeper leagues. So. You know, I do have shares of Segura and Taylor, and I have not dropped them because they're in like draft and hold formats. And what what I can tell you is I have, quote unquote, given up on them because now they are backups. You know, Mm. other people that were on my team that were behind them are now playing over them. Um, And that's uh, people like Isak Paredes in one league. um, And let me see my other draft champions. Um, I'm trying to get uh, Alec Thomas into the lineup a little bit more over Chris Taylor uh, in the outfield. 
Um, and Ryan McMahon is playing some second for me. So I'm just trying to find other options. And sometimes that works for you, even with a daily lineup bench league where you can just be like, you know, I'm going to put this guy on my bench more often until something happens. And um, I could see doing that with with Taylor maybe a little bit more than Segura because I think he could still hit 230 with, you know, 15 more homers and 10 more steals. I think that's a slightly better line. And he's, you know, with second base slash outfield with outfield the way it is, I think he's a slightly better, uh, he's got slightly better eligibilities. If you had to, would you rather between Segura and, and, and Taylor, do you have one? Segura. I think Segura has a better chance of being a 600 plate appearance player than Taylor does. Mm -hmm. So I have more confidence in those counting stats being there, even though the 2023 Dodgers is still a much better supporting cast than the one that Segura has. But the playing time difference could end up being 150 to 200 plate appearances. I think it could be that that big. Yeah, I think I might lean uh, Taylor, but it might just be because I went cheap in the outfield. And so a lot of places, my, my last outfielder is not that good. How about this? There's another player that's uh, similar, kind of more of a corner outfield type. Trey Mancini. K-rate up at a career worst, 27.3% so far. Uh, barrels have gone away. He's not drawing walks right now. The biggest concern for me is that the ground ball rate is through the roof, 56.8%. It just makes me wonder if he's hurt. I don't really know what to make of this. If it's just a really bad, slow start, another new environment for him. You know, I know he was traded midseason last year. Didn't seem to play as well with Houston as he was playing in Baltimore. Is, is this just an extension of the second half? Or is there some other underlying problem there? Or is Trey Mancini an actual legitimate buy low sort of player that you'd be trading for and quickly picking up in some of the more shallow leagues where he's going to pop up on the wire? Well, I don't think his upside is that great for like a 12-team league if you're just going to pick him up off the wire. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's projected to hit 250 with 15 homers and no steals, right? So that's not really like something you need to run and get off of the 12-team wire. <clears throat> if he's like available in deeper leagues and trades or maybe he sits your 15 15-team wire, I think I might be interested. You know, one of the things that's weird is that Mancini was uh, did have some good bad ball stats in the spring. Um, he had a better max EV than he's uh, showing in the regular season. So if you combine his spring with his regular season, you can at least put a max EV of like, a, I think it was like 112 or 113 on there. Then he starts to look like he has the same raw powers ever, right? Because right now the max EV is down, the barrel's down. You're saying, oh my God, what's going on? Um, so if he has the same raw powers he always did, now you can see that ground ball rate as just part of his continual foibles with the ground ball rate. Like, He's he's struggled with this before, you know, his first two full years in the season in, in the big leagues. He Trim Mancini had like a 53 percent ground ball rate. So <clears throat> I would say these look like temporary problems that are uh, something is just not right. He's not on time yet or something. He's a 24 percent pull rate and pull rates are associated with getting the ball out front. So somehow he's striking out a lot and not walking, but he's also not getting the ball out in front. So I, I think he's just struggling to get his timing. It's been a surprisingly poor start, though. I thought that was a good signing by the Cubs, that he'd go in there, pop his 20-plus homers, and be a nice source of RBIs kind of stuck in the middle third of that lineup. Even though they're, they're not a great lineup, I just thought he was going to make them a bit better. Hasn't happened so far. I think I would pick him up maybe in some 12s as well if I was just chasing some playing time. Uh, in that corner spot. I mean, I'd like to, you'd have to look at real quickly, uh, a teammate of his, a couple teammates of his. Let's see here. Uh, Hosmer is, what's he doing? Hosmer has a 73 WRC plus, uh, hitting 250 with no power. Uh, I think that is... I would keep Mancini, especially given their contracts. I would, as if I were the Cubs, I would keep Mancini over Hosmer. Um, Matt Mervis has a 159 WRC plus in AAA. So if you are going to bring up Mervis, I do think Hosmer is the cut still now. So that's just something to throw in the conversation real quick. Yeah, Matt Mervis uh, keeping the K rate down at AAA, 15.8%, walking a ton. It's over walk 20% walk rate yeah. right now. He's uh, already homered three times in 12 games. Like Everything he was doing last year at that level 
he's doing it again in terms of that batted ball distribution. So it looks really good. Something's going to have to change. Maybe uh, maybe Mancini does go on an IL stint, or maybe they just thank Hosmer for his 100 mediocre plate appearances. Yeah, maybe they'll send him a gift basket. <laughs> so I was looking at the expected stats leaderboard. You can do the sort over at Baseball Savant and just look at the difference between expected WOBA and actual WOBA. And I was curious to see who has been the most unlucky group of hitters so far. Not surprisingly, Chris Taylor and Gene Segura made the top 10. They were near the bottom. There have been even more unlucky hitters. I'm going to rattle off the list, and then we'll come back, and you can tell me if there are any players in this group that you want to believe in. One of the problems, as you'll see if you look at this, is some of these players are just flat-out bad. Like, their their actual Wilba and their ex-Wilba are both bad. I know, bad. and so you can have these, like, large differences, right, where you're just like, it still mm-hmm. doesn't mean... Yeah, a lot of times I do these improver lists, and, and you have to be... And somebody's like, why is this terrible player on your improver list? I'm like, well, he went from really awful to just kind of awful, and there was a big... There was a big there was like a hundred points of a difference there and he's still bad so (laughs) that definitely happens yeah so this is the list nick gordon has been the most unlucky hitter in the league just based on the difference between ex woba and actual woba but he's in that very very low club jack sawinski marcelo zuna josh naylor michael massey eddie rosario mj melendez oscar gonzalez and then segura and taylor rounding out the top 10 so those first eight guys there's at least a 100-point difference between their actual WOBA and their expected WOBA so far. There was only one name on that list that I was interested in back during draft season. Actually, there were... Uh, I'm lying. There were like three and a half. MJ Melendez I liked a lot. I'm not worried about MJ Melendez yet. I liked Michael Massey as a very late sleeper, so I'm going to count him as the half. And then Naylor and Nick Gordon. I think we both liked both of those guys. Do you still like the guys that you liked on this list before or are you starting to lower expectations based on what we've seen so far i think massey there is something to worry about i mean it was weird that he had this low max ev and uh high barrel rate and a small sample last year he's doing the same thing again but what really is sticking out is he did have a high whiff rate last year he had a 14 percent whiff rate for a 24 percent strikeout rate that's not usually the kind of you don't see those two together like that. And so this year he has a 16.7% swing strike rate, Massey does, and a 40% strikeout rate. And you and you kind of wonder, maybe he's going to have more trouble making contact than I thought. Um, and then you start to say, oh, well, he doesn't walk. If he's going to strike out a lot and he doesn't have great raw power, he's going to have to get to that barrel rate a lot. And... I guess the one thing going for him is that the Royals may not have that much else going on. So they may just give him a full season of run, but that also might be a full season that tanks your AL only team because he keeps playing every day and it's terrible. So uh, I've sort of revised my expectations of Massey downward a little bit. Uh, Nick Gordon, I'm worried about because of the interplay between the quality of the team, the quality of the options around him, and his play and though i think that he can get it going and i like the fact that he has a seven percent strikeout rate and he's putting everything in play i I like some aspects of what he's doing he's playing his way even with that strikeout rate and with the lack of power he's playing his way into kind of the ideal backup you know utility guy role instead of everyday starter anywhere you got jorge polanco coming back and you got eduardo julian up it's getting crowded. And the and the only place where you can really make an, um, a, a, an impact, I think, on this Twins team um, is the outfield. And right now, Buxton is healthy. Trevor Larnock is playing pretty well. Max Kepler just came back. And Joey Gallo has some things going for him. I think uh, he was hurt, but he's coming back shortly. So it's not like they are hurting that badly for personnel in the outfield either. So Nick Gordon suddenly starts to feel like someone who doesn't have an immediate role. Even as a guy who doesn't strike out, they have Donovan Solano, who doesn't strike out and is playing and puts the ball in play, but is playing better. And so if you were the manager, you'd, if I was the manager there, I would feel like maybe uh, take Solano, you know? 
Um, so his his specific use case for when do I reach for Nick Gordon is is getting skinnier and skinnier. Yeah, he has become an AL only player very quickly. A couple of things have changed with the Twins that I didn't really see coming, but the biggest one is probably Michael Taylor. Look at how much Michael Taylor is playing. Michael Taylor has started every single game for the Twins in center field. Wow. 16 for 16. League Byron average Buxton, bat right now. Byron Buxton is a DH at this point. They are really trying to keep him healthy. Keep him way, healthy. Huh? And geez, there was that play last week. I think it was last Wednesday. Right? We were just talking about the Twins on the 3-0 show. Buxton's running to second base, and people were pretty critical of him on Twitter, saying how oh, he didn't have any awareness of where the second baseman was. And I just thought... Maybe he was just running as fast as he could and wasn't worried about it. Like, should he have presence of mind? Should everyone have presence of mind of the fielders around them? Ideally, yes. But also, if you think you're just going to get through the path of the ball before the player gets there, they also, run yeah, they all have, yeah, they also all have a very high opinion of themselves, right? <laughs> they're like, they're pro yeah. athletes, they're elite. So he probably just saw it and thought he would get there first. Yeah. The weird thing about all this, so Buxton's played 15 games so far. Great. 60 plate appearances. Awesome. On pace for 600 for the first time in his career. Amazing. So far, he has not hit the way that he has hit the last few years. I think it's probably an outlier, but you look at the the plate skills. Five walks against 24 Ks. Does have a couple of home runs. Zero for stolen bases so far. Just a puzzling player in, in every way. He's morphed into an all-or-nothing slugger that plays DH. It's like, how did this happen? We well, talked about it last year. It's like yeah. somewhere along the way, Byron Buxton and Kyle Schwarber became <laughs> more similar players than we ever ever thought they could be based on where they were when they entered the league. And um, that was a pretty big plot twist. But of course, you know, the emergence of Trevor Larnick and, and yeah, you mentioned Edward Julian being on this roster uh, Alex Kirilov is on his rehab assignment. He's getting healthy. So the, the Twins are going to have a crowd. I think the thing that maybe keeps Nick Gordon on the roster for your ultra deep leagues, he doesn't have minor league options left. So if they're going to try and send him down, he's got to clear waivers. There was a time last year where I thought they would just release him when people were getting healthy. And this year he looks a lot closer to that. So maybe he'll end up in a trade. I mean, one other thing that's keeping him on the roster, I think, is uh, his ability to play shortstop. Which I don't even know yeah. if it's that good, but it's better yeah. than maybe some others. But if they think that it's that Kyle Farmer plays a better shortstop, uh, you know, they've also got Jorge Polanco can go over there in a pinch. Then all of a sudden, Nick Gordon doesn't need to necessarily be on the roster. So I, yeah, I think I think things have gone maybe most poorly for him of all of the t- the people on the list. There was a, one other one that I found that I did. Oh, uh, Josh Naylor. I'm a little surprised because, you know, going into the season, um, I I had him uh, picked out as a guy that would benefit from the shift rules. Um, and so I thought his Babbitt would go up, not go down to 163. Um, and part of that is he's not pulling the ball like he used to. And the raw power's... A little bit down, but the barrels are there. The strikeout rate is fine. The walk rate is fine. Maybe he's letting the ball travel too far because we see this walk rate and he's a guy who's always had a high uh, a high chase rate, right? So maybe at the in order to get those walks, he's not doing the right thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe he's just a guy who does not have a great natural sense of where the zone is and should just grip it and rip it and have like a six to eight percent walk rate 15 percent strikeout rate and have a 200 iso that's where i thought he was headed uh get on base through hits that's all right that's the type of player i think he is so maybe he just needs to find himself again i don't think that given the 60 plate appearances you can't even 60 plate appearances i think uh the one thing that you could say with stabilization or whatever like the one thing that's supposedly stable right now is his is swing rate and his swing rate is up one percentage point so like i just can't point to that and be like that's why josh naylor is struggling he's swinging one percent you know like he's seen 200 pitches so that's like two expected swings more 
two swings more than you would expect? Yeah, I would actually go so far as to say I think Josh Naylor is a great buy low yeah. sort of target in leagues with trades. I think you want to go after him right now. I think this is a Cleveland lineup that's going to score plenty of runs. I think we saw oh. from a power perspective last year was real. Yeah, I, I just thought of something. Uh, Cleveland is actually a hitter's park, but it's cold. Mm-hmm. So in the first month, uh, Cleveland hitters, I think, uh, look bad. And then I think that they, they sort of get it going as the, as the weather warms up there. And if you want to make it more of a would you rather, comparing him to someone we talked about a little while ago, I would much rather have Josh Naylor rest of season than Trey Mancini. Yes. If both of them become available or if you think they're relatively easy to trade for, I have more faith in Naylor at this point. Yeah. He also is doing the opposite thing where he's hitting a ton of fly balls. So I feel like all you need to do is warm up the weather and those fly balls are homers, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Let's move on to a few mailbag questions, you know? We got one from Adam. This is about Nolan Gorman. So it's a good start for Nolan Gorman. Walks are up, Ks are down, high BABIP so far. But the ISO, of course, very high. Hard hit rate, obviously higher than last year. This is a guy that did barrel the ball a lot last season. And the question from Adam is, how sustainable is this for Nolan Gorman? He's asking because he's got Marcus Simeon and Gorman in a 12-team keeper league. It's a 5 by 5 head-to-head keep eight players sort of consideration, uh, keep configuration. He wants to know, is it too early to consider moving Simeon even if I don't plan on keeping Gorman? Can Gorman put up similar power numbers to Marcus Simeon? And will Nolan Gorman keep second base eligibility? next year so a lot to unpack here let's just start with the core skills for nolan gorman are you buying what we're seeing in this this great start as a a step forward for him uh, that many people were kind of hoping we'd see even right away from him as a rookie the the best resource i have for people is uh, a a piece called a long needed update on reliability from Fangraphs. And it requires a little bit of sort of clicking around and getting to understand what's going on here. But the number that you're looking for is 0.75. So at 0.75 alpha, I know that sounds pretty technical, but at (laughs) 0.75, the number you're looking at uh, becomes more important than league average when going forward. So that's the point at which you start actually looking at actual results instead of basically saying they're all going to regress so swing strike rate takes about 260 pitches to become reliable it is one of the faster uh pitches one of the faster things to come online like that he's seen 206 nolan gorman has so I would say that I, I think that there's something to his swing strike rate being down. You know, it was 16% last year for Nolan Gorman. It's now 13.5%. That's part of why his strikeout rate is down. I think I would take the under on 16%, for example. If that's his demonstrated swing strike rate or the 15.7 that he has for his whole career, I would still take the under on that going forward. So I do think there's a chance that he's improved something when it comes to making contact. Uh, his walk right now looks like it's in line with what he's done before. He's got the barrel rate and the max EV where he's been before. So this is a guy who was a kind of patience and power guy that has improved his strikeout rate a little bit in his second year. Um, I don't believe that he's going to hit 333. Uh, but uh, do I believe he can maybe uh, hit 240 to 245? Yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, you put that together with maybe a 10% walk rate and you got a 245 with like a 330 OBP. Uh, that looks like where he was, that's where he was kind of supposed to be headed. Uh, if you look at his minor league numbers, that's absolutely a major league player. It's someone who's 10 to 15 to 20% better than league average. That's someone who's going to play. So those are all the positive things I can say. Uh, on the on the on the defensive side, I don't know, dude. Uh, has he has he played any second base? He's played three there, and Donovan's kind of breaking out. Right, and Donovan's a good defender too. So it's if if Gorman's playing at second base, it's because they want Donovan somewhere else, or Donovan's getting a day off. Yeah. So I think it's gonna be cutting it really close. If your league requires twenty games played at a position to qualify there, 
that might be a photo finish into September unless Donovan spends time on the IL. I think they're comfortable enough with Gorman at second base where he could get to 20 during a Donovan IL stint, and he could fall just short if Donovan stays healthy all year. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be close. They, they, they don't prefer him there. It's pretty obvious. I don't but, know where he's going to end up. Uh, maybe he takes DH from Yepes. Yeah, I mean, he started nine games there so far, by far the most of anybody for the Cardinals. That, that's that's really his spot. It, it would be nice if if eventually he becomes part of the plan, maybe in left field. This is a guy that was originally a third baseman, started to move off of third base when Arenado was acquired from the Rockies. So I would think if you are fluid enough to play third base when you're really young, you probably could play left field. And something's changing with this team. Yeah, I, they're, the, the Tyler O'Neill situation. They're falling out of love with Tyler O'Neill. Something's going on there. That's got to be a trade situation, right? I mean, he's in the lineup playing left, playing left field, batting sixth on Monday to start the week. And they, but they're, something's off with him. They're publicly talking about uh, him not running out balls. They 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 benched him. They've been he's been he's been a healthy scratch. I talked to him in the spring, and he was talking about letting the ball travel, and also that he trained in St. Louis. Um, at Bush Stadium during the offseason. So I thought that was a really interesting pair of things to say because training in St. Louis during the offseason suggests I'm being a team person here. I'm, I'm letting them guide me. Letting the ball travel is not necessarily the Cardinals' way. They led the league in pulled fly balls. You don't do that by letting the ball travel. So... There's just something... And then, then throwing him into this uh, center field battle... And not really telling him that he had a job to start the season. Uh, it all kind of just adds up to some weird falling out of love thing. Where I do think a trade is in the future. But I just don't know when the trade is going to happen. I mean, they could do it now. Because they've got Alec Burleson batting second. And playing. Uh, and then with Newt Bar, They can play Carlson in center. Have they been playing Burleson in center? They played Burleson mostly in left. Burleson, yeah, left. I mean, if they put Burleson in center, something's gone horribly right, wrong. Right. They've played O'Neill the most there, but it's Carlson and Newt Bar that are getting those opportunities more recently. The weird thing about this is O'Neill projects as their best outfielder. Yeah. For the rest of the season projections. It's not, uh, Newt Bar's close. You would think those two would be playing a ton out there. And maybe it is going to be a trade. And there's plenty of teams that could use a guy like Tyler O'Neill, someone who can play center field, who has power, who has speed, who's shown some ceiling. So maybe this becomes a surprising early season trade where the Cardinals get an upgrade for something else on their roster and some other team out there looking for uh, an impact bat. Maybe they actually go ahead and, and make this happen. And they, Tyler O'Neill, just to put this into context too, looking at him sorting again by just Woba for the rest of the season using the bad X. Tyler O'Neill's projected for a 345 Woba. That is 63rd among all hitters, and this has 601 hitters projected. That's a good player. If they don't like him, someone else does. Guaranteed. I'd put him, I'd put him on the Marlins in a second, except that the Marlins are, are trying to improve their strikeout rate. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what the issue is, but I also do know that the Cardinals do not have enough pitching right now. I don't. Maybe the Giants could get him. I don't really. We, we always like to put everybody on the Giants. Let's put Tyler O'Neill on the Giants. <laughs> yeah, I wonder what would go back. Disclafani. <laughs> Is that if that's all it takes? I mean, yeah. I don't easy. know. It would take. It would probably take a minor league or two. Um, the it it is hard to get a match because Tyler O'Neill is a win now player. I guess he's a he's only got a year left after this. I believe. And so it's not like you're trading Tyler O'Neill to a small market team and taking their expensive starting pitcher, right? Nope. So it has to be a need for need trade. So it's somewhere, somebody who, who is a contender that has too much starting pitching. It's uh, basically an oxymoron. Arguably the Giants by volume, even if the ceiling on a lot of those guys isn't very high. Right. That's why they came to mind as one of those teams that could could pull something like this off. And no, everybody else is already feeling the burn, dude. 
I mean, I guess the Braves have this elder Schuster Dodd situation. Yeah. Would you trade one of those guys to get Tyler O'Neill? Probably. But okay, so you're so then you're just cutting Marcel Azuna. I mean, you could, and Eddie Rosario hasn't gotten going. That's not impossible. Soroka's getting get, getting healthy. It's not an impossible idea. I don't really like any of those three pitchers, but if they don't like Vaughn Grissom as a shortstop, they could probably just move him to left field on the fly and just let him hit and just play there. He'd probably be a good left well, fielder, wouldn't he? Right now. He just came up right now. He is, but once RC is back, yeah. If they still don't like what they're getting from left field and DH, why not they just don't seem desperate use Grissom for offense. there? I don't know. No, they, they don't. Not right now, anyway. If you're the Giants, you have Kyle Harrison, and he puts together a couple of good starts, then you could feel like we can just bring up Kyle Harrison and we can trade any one of our guys. Manaya's only is on a shorter term deal, right? Yeah. What is it? It's all pretty short deals. I mean, they extended Logan Webb, but and they wouldn't trade Logan Webb here. And he can opt out after this year. So Manaya might might make sense, but it'd be it'd kind of be weird for the Giants. But they're always looking for offense. Uh, everybody else is just struggling to put stuff together. The Twins, Louis Varland, is uh, I I just put up a, a list of the biggest improvers year over year in Stuff Plus among starters, and Louis Varland was on it along with Pablo Lopez and Tyler Malley, and Joe Ryan has added the sweeper. So all of a sudden that play that starting rotation looks pretty healthy. And they have Ober, Varland, and Woods Richardson. But if you're the Twins, do you really mess around with pitching depth when you've had so many injuries in the past? Nope. You hold all of those guys <laughs> yeah, exactly. because you have yeah. you have a <laughs> fragile group of guys in your rotation. Yeah. You will probably need all three of the guys who were not in the rotation to start the season to make a handful of starts, if not more. I, I think you leave it alone. Their position player depth is good. I love the way the Twins are built right now. It's it's. Interesting that they've had so many guys take these steps forward, though, because we were starting to wonder after the first year of Wes Johnson in Minnesota as an organization, did the Twins have some things figured out in pitching development? And this early return would kind of point more toward the yes, they they do. They have some organizational growth in that they can they can make pitchers better. That seems to be an organizational skill that the Twins have right now. What if you're the Guardians and you feel like, you know, we build pitchers pretty easily? Would would you take a shot at Cal Quantrill if you were the the uh <sighs> and, and Tyler O'Neill doesn't really fit the Guardians philosophy, but maybe you can just stick a Tyler O'Neill in a lineup where, that makes a lot of contact and it's a good mix, you know? I think that's an ideal sort of fit from a we already do this other thing really well. Let's get a guy that's a bopper that can actually they tried it with Franville, offer right? something for us. Yeah. And it didn't work. <laughs> but Tyler O'Neill is so much more athletic yeah. than Franville Reyes. That's so true. I think there's a, a lot more, uh, there's so many more ways that can go right. Uh, but it's just to close the book on that Gorman yeah. question, Gorman can put up similar power numbers to Marcus Simeon. That's not ridiculous. That's not a slight at Marcus Simeon. That's like a low 20s home run total for the rest of the season. The playing time looks like it's going to be there. Um, I do think Gorman can match that. I think where you're going to be lacking is that Marcus Simeon runs, and then Marcus Simeon's place in that Rangers lineup probably leads him to better all-around counting stats as well. So if you're going to trade Simeon and replace him with Gorman, that's where you're going to feel it. It's the other categories. It's definitely not the power, at least uh, from my perspective. But I'm glad you brought up Louis Varlin because he was among the questions that came in from Tim G. Tim also wanted to know about a former twin, Jose Barrios, what is going on with him right now? The surface numbers are still bad. K to BB actually looks pretty good. Is this actually an opportunity to start getting back into Jose Barrios as someone that could put the pieces together here in the next few starts? I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. I'm out. I, 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 flogged that, uh, I flogged that tree too long. I don't know. That's not the expression. I don't know what the expression is. I tried to defend him for too long, and now I'm out. Um, he did have a little bit of a stuff plus surge in his last start, and so now his curveball is above average. But that's bad news, dude. His curveball, he had an elite curveball. He had like a 145 stuff plus curveball last year, and it's 105 this year. And so, yeah, you can look across the line and be like, okay, 92 fastball stuff plus 96 sinker stuff plus 105 curveball 102 changeup 
if it was anybody else I put those numbers on, I'd be like, yeah, this guy's interesting. But it's still Berrios who in the past has underperformed his stuff numbers. So you kind of have to look at these numbers relative to his own on some level, I think. And then you have just awful matchups in that division. Yeah, you get it a little less often, though, with the new schedule. Got to make that work for you. To me, he's like a guy I'd pick up off the wire in a 20-teamer. A 20-teamer. Okay, so basically mono leagues only unless you're playing in an ultra-deep league. Uh, All right. If I have a space for a stasher in 15s where I'm just like, I'm going to pick up this uh, this guy who someone has dropped just because he's had better days in his past, but I'm not going to start him for the foreseeable future. Okay. But he's kind of a name that people depend on and would still think, uh, like, I'm going to put him in the lineup this week. Like, what... Like right now, would I really want to just like rush to get him in lineup against Cleveland? What's his what's his start? What's his what's his next matchup? He's got Houston on the road this week, so anybody who picked him up this weekend has to throw him against the Astros on the road. No, mm. we're not even with the Astros missing El Tuve, not doing that. Next week, maybe a little more of a, an open question: home against the White Sox. That's right on the borderline of a start you could think about for a fifteen-team like league, but. You're still looking really closely at your alternatives. Strike out, and maybe he could get them chasing and striking out. But they also are a volatile team that could just spank the ball. Is you say Kikuchi a better option right now than Jose Barrios? Have we reached that point? I mean, the stuff numbers are all better for Kikuchi. The stuff numbers are great through spring uh, for Kikuchi, and the only question was, can he command it? And even the location numbers are good right now. I know that's, I don't want to, I'm not going to use that as a real way in, but he's a guy who can strike guys out. So I'm going to go with Kikuchi right now. Uh, by the way, a, a quick follow-up I think is deserved here because the Chris Bubich experience was completely derailed by an injury. Unfortunately, he's going to get a second opinion on his elbow. The initial diagnosis is a left flexor strain. His velo was way down. The stuff just wasn't the same in the third start as it was previously. I was really looking. <laughs> it's too bad for me because I was really looking forward to seeing his movement numbers in his third start. <laughs> yeah. No, well, it's too it's, bad. For it's him. one of those. He'd, he'd really seem to have awful. changed his, his, his arsenal. And so, right. He put all the work in and I just, people, people had such a, a funny reaction to that on Twitter. And by funny, I mean kind of annoying or it was like, it was almost like the Nelson months. Ha ha. Like that. It mm. didn't work out. It's like, Dude got hurt. Yeah. Like, I think people were laughing before they knew the reason. Mm. But it's like if, if Velo drops two or three ticks in one start and movement is as far off as it was, yeah, that's not conditions, right? That's I just not, kept my mouth shut, yeah. <laughs> that's not a slick mound. <laughs> that's a... not cold, damp air. That's a guy that's hurt. Like That's really the mm-hmm. nine times out of ten, that's the explanation for a stuff decline that sharp from one start to the next. Yeah, yeah. that was too bad. So now we may have to wait a long time to see it again. And this is why people breathlessly report, you know, big ups and velos and downs. Right. It's a big deal. As soon as you see that, you still, that's not good. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever. And that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash rates23. That's linkedin.com slash rates23 for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash rates23 and get started. We had a, a question from Aaron. This is about the Stuff Plus on Fangraphs. Uh, I think it's more of 
just wondering if there's going to be other ways to view it on individual player pages eventually. Do you happen to know if um, how, how it's currently displayed is the plan for the foreseeable future, or are we going to have more ways to be able to look at those numbers uh, going forward? That's all I know is what people know, uh, because that's all in David Appleman's court. However, I can tell you a couple things. Um, uh, it's available in the custom leaderboards part. Uh, so you can do anything you can do with regular leaderboards. And I discovered today that uh, the time splits are there. So if you are interested in getting someone's last start or something, you can do last seven days. You can do yesterday. Um, I haven't done the custom date range yet, but if the if the weekly splits, the, those the splits work, I think maybe the custom date range will work. So that's uh, that's fun because people talk about wanting to know the last 400 pitches or whatever, and you can approximate that by doing stuff like, let me just look at the last month and, and see who's been surging over the last month. So. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I didn't I didn't realize that the date searches, uh, the splits and all that would actually work. That's, yeah, that's really, I think they're really starting cool to, to work that. now. So, uh, you know, I just keep open the leaderboards and change it team to team. I think this is the easiest way to find people. Um, uh, but if you were looking for it, it's at Fangraphs, uh, pitching leaderboards, pitch modeling, and then you can find yeah, hit that find tab. There, yeah, yeah, I, I I really like it too. I think the team. The team approach is really helpful, especially when you're looking at players who are getting an opportunity for a spot start or you're looking at prospects that might be coming up. You see who the weak links really are uh, on a team from a skills perspective. Uh, I find that to be one of the, the better usages that I've had for, uh, for the current configuration so far. So highly recommend uh, going that route if you're looking for those stuff plus numbers over on Fangraphs, but much easier to have them there than in the Google Sheet. <laughs> it's been, been a big step forward. Yeah, yeah. And and since it's on Fangraphs, it's only upwards and onwards here. So, yes, I do think hopefully it'll be on player pages soon, uh, but I can't promise that. It's not my gig. Thanks a lot for that email, Aaron. And we got one more question. This one comes in from Jerry. Jerry wants to know, and he wonders, maybe I'm just unlucky and it's all of my pictures, but are walks way up this year so far and if so do you think it's random adjusting to the pitch clock or do pitchers always walk people early as they're still settling into the season yeah this is an easy one uh walks are up early in the season batters are struggling to be on time and pitchers are struggling to command their pitches that i think is a truth in the early going if you look walk rate declines over the course of the season and Right now, we have a 9.2% walk rate, which if you look at it season by season, you say, oh, that's, you know, that's higher than it's been in however many seasons, and you could you can make a big deal out of it. If you limit it to only April, you'll see that in April 2019, we had a 9.2% walk rate, and that it was 8.8 and 8.9 and the other Aprils in between. So I don't think there's actually a... Uh, real substantive change here it is the thing that happens in spring and so i think that you know in terms of what this means for fantasy i think that the the tough part is that you know people talk about wanting to like bank innings right okay so you want to bank innings in the cold when the hitters are behind love it except that your pitchers don't have command and so you're throwing some guys that may not have the command I think uh, streaming is really, really hard and almost impossible. And so mostly uh, us terrestrial movers just have to <laughs> have to figure it out week to week. Yeah, no matter what Tommy Pham says, you know, also not an aerial mover. He's going <laughs> to join the terrestrial movers club and, and stay there for the foreseeable future. Uh, I, I co-manage a team with our friend Todd Zola and, and Todd was kind of messaging me yesterday and he said, I've, I've realized that you don't really stream effectively as much as you do a better job building in that depth on draft day. If your plan in a 15-team league is to stream a couple of spots, it's not a very good plan because you're going to have a really hard Those time players that finding you pick enough quality. Should innings. have a chance of sticking on your team all year. Yeah, you really you're going to have triage. five or six starters, have like eight or nine, that's and what we, that's... trust all of them in most situations, which probably just means when you think about a draft grid, having more yellow bricks higher up throughout the middle like investing 100%. more in pitching and then turning and burning more on the position player side and it's, it's sort of the opposite of how i started playing 10 years ago 
I think the first time I was playing NFPC, I thought I could just find all the pitching I needed on the wire because in every other league I'd played in prior to that point, there was plenty of pitching on the wire. And year over year, the lesson has been learned and solidified that more pitching up front is the way to go. And yeah, if you're replacing injured starters, that's one thing. If you're replacing starters who are bad, you probably didn't draft enough good starters. Yeah, yeah. That was 100% my plan in the main that I'm doing. Uh, let me see if I have a standings update, if anybody cares. Standings update. <laughs> we are sixth right now. That's okay. We just spent uh, $326 out of 1000 on Taj Bradley. Um, and uh, he's going into our lineup, even though he's at Cincinnati. But it's uh, just because uh, we we did uh, hit the thing middle, um, you know, hit pitching middle hard. So that's why we have Logan Gilbert, Jordan Montgomery, and Kenta Maeda there in, in our middle with Jameson Tyon. So we still we still feel good about that, but we just feel like our whole and then Corbin Burns at the top. We just feel like our whole uh, rotation will be better if. Uh, Taj Bradley can join Grayson Rodriguez as an everyday starter in, in our lineup. And uh, then you, what we have on the bench right now, uh, we even just had to give up one of our pitching slots for a hitter because of injuries. We have Aaron Savali, Jameson Tyon, Spencer Turnbull, and Ryan Nelson on the bench right now. And I feel good about that. You know, I think when Savali's healthy, those are guys who can who can start in any given week. And they're definitely guys who, if you find out on Monday that you know, Kenta Maeda is going on the IL, you can at least take Turnbull against Cleveland and throw him in there, you know? Or or Nelson, I think Nelson against San Diego, we're, we're trying to keep him on the bench. But, you know, these are all guys who can start for you any given week. And then when they have two starts, you say, oh yeah, man, like Turnbull two starts, he'll he'll start over, you know, Maeda one or whatever. So uh, that's, that's the kind of uh, work we're trying to do is uh, have four or five useful starting pitchers on our bench yeah uh, i think that's exactly the way you want to play it uh, once you're able to get to that level sometimes the injuries make it really hard to actually have that many choices because yeah, in tgfbi <laughs> my bench is uh jared walsh injured juan mancata injured tyler glass now injured zach eflin injured and so everybody else in between has to be uh has to be healthy and, and has to be in the lineup one uh, interesting thing that I've done in TGFBI is I benched Luis Garcia at home against the Blue Jays. I'm yeah. officially worried about Luis Garcia. His fastball stuff plus is way down. He may have to go to cutter, slider, changeup, um, and kind of turf the four seam, which I think reduces his upside as a pitcher and makes him much more matchup dependent. So. At least for now, I'm keeping on my team, but I'm benching him for that Toronto start. I, uh, like you, ended up with a little bit of Taj Bradley. Didn't have to go over 200 in those $1,000 fab leagues to do it. It was like a 177 winning bid, and I think a 157. There was one, the one league where I went 157, I didn't need pitching, but I just thought, yeah, you kind of always need pitching. So at least put a a solid bid in that could work. Um, And then the, the cheap pitchers I got everywhere. We talked about J.P. Sears a lot last week, so not a surprise that yep. I had a bunch of $11 Brad Keller J.P. For Sears me. bids. That's, I put a Brad Keller Brad on a Keller, few of my teams because yeah. the two above average breaking balls, I think that that mm-hmm. plays, that's big. And Tyler Wells. And I think the Tyler Wells thing that really caught my eye going into the waiver show last weekend with Al was just that the usage is different than last year. With Tyler Wells, the Orioles were super careful with the pitch counts last year. That already has not been the case. We've already seen a normal starters workload for him. Upcoming schedule's really good. Yeah, the um, stuff's good not like him. off the charts good, but I, I think the park is actually becoming one where I, I'm, I'm starting to trust some of the kind of mid-rotation quality guys that the Orioles have developed, and I think Wells sort of fits into that group. 100%. 100%. So, yeah, the Brad Keller thing, uh, you know, he, he had a lot of the same story that uh, Chris Bubich had, except he's, he's remained healthy, so... Um, I'm, I'm into, I'm into Brad Keller, John, in a lot of places, a lot of prospect talk coming up on project prospect on Tuesday. We'll talk about Zach Neto and Brett Beatty. We'll get into more Taj Bradley Shouldn't stuff. Shouldn't it be Nito? Like Vito, right? It should rhyme with Vito. Just, that's Nito. I, I would have guessed Nito initially, just, <laughs> but it's Neto apparently. So we're living with it. 
Uh, if you want to subscribe to The Athletic, you can do that for a dollar a month for the first year at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. You can find Eno on Twitter at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. That's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Tuesday. Thanks for listening.